chapter twelve of the tysons by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twelve a flat in town though they had cut them dead lately it must be confessed that some people found drayton parva a very dull place without mr and mrs neville tyson they heard about them sometimes from sir peter who was now in parliament and from miss batchelor after her flying visits to the morley's house in town stanistreet by the way had his headquarters somewhere in london and in london mrs neville tyson revived she had begun all over again she had got new clothes new servants and a new drawing-room an absurd little drawing-room it was too all white paint and frivolous gimcrack furniture a place said miss batchelor that it would have been dangerous to smoke a cigarette in and if you would believe it she had hung up tyson's sword over the couch in the dining-room as a memorial of his deeds in the soudan so ridiculous when everybody knew that he was nothing but a sort of volunteer miss batchelor had had a brother in the service having furnished her drawing-room and hung up her husband's sword mrs neville tyson seems to have done nothing noteworthy but to have sat down and waited for events she had not long to wait by the end of the season she was alone in the flat he had left her she had no clue to his whereabouts but other people believed him to be living in another flat not alone drayton parva was alive again with the scandal miss batchelor as became the intelligence of drayton parva alone kept calm she went about saying that she was not at all surprised to hear it miss batchelor never was surprised at anything she refused to take a part to commit herself to a definite opinion human nature is a mixed matter and in these cases there are generally faults on both sides mrs neville tyson had been certainly very indiscreet it was indiscreet of her to go on living in that flat all by herself did miss batchelor think that there was anything in that report about captain stanistreet well if there wasn't something in it you would have thought she would have come back to thorneytoft her staying in town looked bad under the circumstances poor mrs neville tyson every circumstance made a link in a chain of evidence whose ends were nowhere and indeed she was not left very long to herself but though stanistreet was always hanging about ridgemount gardens he was no nearer solving the problem that had perplexed him and yet his views of women had undergone a change he was not the same man who had discussed molly wilcox in the billiard-room at thorneytoft three years ago one thing he noticed which was new mrs neville tyson was not literary but whenever he called now he always found her sitting with some book in her hand which she instantly hid behind the cushions of her chair stanistreet unearthed three of these volumes one day they were barrack-room ballads with gordon in the soudan india what it can teach us a work if you please on vedic philosophy annotated in pencil by tyson now stanistreet had brought barrack-room ballads into the house stanistreet had been with gordon in the soudan stanistreet no stanistreet had not been in india but he might have been he was immensely amused at the idea of mrs neville tyson cultivating her mind poor little soul how bored she must have been there could be no possible doubt about the boredom mrs neville tyson turned from reading to talking with obvious relief their conversation had taken a wider range lately 
it was more intimate and at the same time less embarrassing he wondered how often she thought of that scene in the library at thorneytoft she had behaved ever since as if it had never happened for one thing stanistreet was thankful she had left off discussing neville with him if she had ever been in ignorance she now knew all that it concerned her to know not that she avoided the subject on the contrary it seemed to have floated into the vague region of general interest where any chance current of thought might drift them to it stanistreet dreaded it but she was continually brushing up against it with a feathery lightness which made him marvel at the volatile character of her mind was it the clumsiness of a butterfly or the dexterity of a woman once or twice he thought he detected a certain reluctant shyness in approaching the subject directly it was as if she regarded her affection for her husband as a youthful folly and her marriage as a discreditable episode of which she was now ashamed on the other hand she was always ready to talk about stanistreet and his doings she would listen for hours to his mess-room stories his descriptions of the people and the places he had seen the engagements he had taken part in for a whole evening one sunday they had talked about nothing but fortification now it was impossible that mrs neville tyson could be interested in fortification as for vedic philosophy she cared for brahma about as much as stanistreet did for brahms he was walking with her in hyde park they had turned off into the path by the flower-beds on the park lane side it was april between six and seven in the evening and except for a few stragglers they had the walk to themselves louis had been giving her the history of his first campaign in the sedan and she was listening with a dreamy half-suppressed interest which rose gradually to excitement he sat down and drew on the gravel with the point of his walking-stick a rude map of the country showing the course of the nile and the line of march with pebbles for stations and bare patches for battlefields he then began to trace out an extremely complicated plan of the campaign she followed the movements of the walking-stick with an intelligence which he would hardly have credited her with and indeed it was no inconsiderable feat seeing that for want of a finer instrument louis's plan was hopelessly mixed up with his line of march and other matters was neville there she asked casually at the close of a spirited account of his last engagement no he was with the volunteers farther south he looked at her and her eyes dropped which is north and which is south the walking-stick indicated the points of the compass i see and you were there in that great splodge in the middle go on what did you do then the walking-stick staggered in a wavering line eastwards but before it could join the nile mrs neville tyson had rubbed out the map campaign and all with the tips of her shoes there's a park-keeper coming said she he'll wonder why we're making such a mess of his nice gravel walk the park-keeper came he looked at the gravel and frowned he looked at mrs neville tyson smiled benignly and passed on perhaps he wondered they got up and walked as far as the corner where they looked at the achilles statue under the shadow of the pedestal mrs neville tyson took a bunch of violets from her waistband what are you going to do with that said louis i'm going to stick it in achilles buttonhole oh i see achilles hasn't got a buttonhole i must put it in yours then she put it in louis's dark face flushed why did you do that i did that because you are a brave man and i like brave men still under the shadow of the pedestal 
he took her by both hands and looked into her eyes what are you going to do now said he nothing we must go back we have gone too far said she too far he dropped her hands she smiled in the old ambiguous maddening way yes much too far we shall be late for dinner they turned back by the way they had come near the marble arch a small crowd was gathered round a poor street preacher with a raucous voice they could hear him as they passed we're all sinners shouted the preacher they stopped and looked at each other with a faint smile all sinners that was what neville used to say all sinners or fools we're all sinners you and me but jesus can save us he loves sinners he bears their sins your sins and my sins dear brethren he bears the sins of the whole world why that's what he came into the world for to save sinners to save em from death and everlasting hell that's what jesus does for sinners oh molly molly what has he done for fools he took her to ridgemount gardens and left her at the door of the flat she was incomprehensible this little mrs tyson but up till now his own state of mind had been plain he knew where he was drifting he had always known but where she was drifting or whether she was drifting at all he did not know that is to say he was not sure and up till now he had not tried very hard to make sure he was a person of infinite tact and could boast with some truth that he had never done an abrupt or clumsy thing by this time his attitude of doubt had given a sort of metaphysical character to this interest of the senses he was almost content to wait and let the world come round to him it was to be supposed that mrs neville tyson being mrs neville tyson would have fathomed him long ago if he had been of the same clay as her engaging husband he was of clay no doubt but it was not the same clay and it was impossible to say how much she knew or had divined other women were no rule for her or else no one thing was certain he would never have betrayed tyson until tyson had betrayed her as it was his relations with her were sufficiently abnormal to be exciting it was not passion it was a rush of minute sensations swarming and swirling like a dance of fireflies an endless approach and flight after all he would not have had it otherwise the charm he told himself was in the levity of the situation the thread by which she held him was so fine that it could be broken any day there would be no pangs of conscience no tears no reproaches no tyrannies of the heart and revolutions of the soul it was to mrs neville tyson's eternal credit that she made no claims clearly when a tie can be broken to-morrow there is no urgent necessity for breaking it to-day so in the afternoon stanistreet called again at ridgemount gardens whether or no mrs neville tyson ignored the possibility of passion she had the largest ideas of the scope and significance of friendship she made no claims but she exacted from louis a multitude of small services for which he was held to be sufficiently repaid in smiles whether she knew it or not she had grown dependent on him she had always shown an affecting confidence in the integrity of masculine judgment and she consulted him about her dividends and the pattern of her gowns with equally guileless reliance to-day he found her in a state of agitated perplexity she put a letter into his hands he was to read it he might skip the first page it was all about calico there that was what she meant 
the letter was from mrs wilcox imploring her to go back to drayton till this little cloud blows over i don't want to go to drayton to those people they talk i know they talk and i don't like them besides i want to stay in london nobody knows me here except you do i know you well if you don't you ought to by now i wonder if mother wants me she might come here though i'd rather she didn't she talks too you know she doesn't mean to but she can't help it what i like about you is you never talk you won't let me what ought i to do she asked helplessly must i go no said louis emphatically don't why not he tossed the letter aside and their eyes met it would look like defeat End of chapter 12 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine